Welcome back to another episode of Prison Counts. I'm your host, Ryan Ferguson, here with my good friend and co-host, David Dowling. Welcome, Dave. How you doing? Real good, man. Real good. All is well. Keeping the ball in play. Yes, sir. You got to keep it in play. That's uh, I like that. Nice. Our guest today is Ryan Parker. This guy has an incredible story. I think he's seen so much in the system that... Uh, that I've never seen, and that really kind of boggles my mind. I can't imagine the experiences he's had. Dave, you know Ryan. I don't. What can we expect to hear from him? Well, Ryan's an interesting fella. He's a real character. I've known him since we were kids, really. He was one of those guys that maybe was like one of the most popular guys in the neighborhood. You know, he was a real great athlete, decent student, and, you know, arguably the toughest guy in the neighborhood. I mean, he was a real strong and real good with his hands and everyone pretty much knew that, you know? So even amongst guys that like to fight sometimes, uh, you didn't want to pick one with him. Yeah. I've seen him. He's, he looks like a tank and, uh, he looks like a nice guy, but, uh, but I, I feel like, you know, he, he could, uh, you know, I wouldn't want to upset him. <laughs> no, no, but he doesn't upset easily. He's a real good to me, a good person. I mean, I love Ryan and, We've been friends a long time, and it's so good to be back here and seeing him and spending some time with him. And, uh, I'm real interested in what he has to say because he's a, he's colorful. Good. Well, I look forward to talking to him. He, like a lot of people we want to talk to on the show, have done time in prison, but they've come out of it a better person. And I think that's what's really, really cool about him and a lot of people we talk to. So, uh, yeah, let's let's get him on. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks, guys, for having me on. Thanks for being on. Yeah, Ryan Parker, 179726. Some of, some inmates will call that an old head number. That's an old head number. Only five digits. That is. Man. <laughs> I want 137593. You got a whole other number. 179726. Wait, that's a six-digit number. Yeah. But trust me, it came in 1988. So anyway, but um, I mean, where do I begin? I guess, uh, you know, young, 17 years old. February, gotten a, I just dropped out of school that day, and so I was out, and a friend of ours, won't mention any names, but we were out cruising, getting drunk, getting high, like, you know, teenagers do. <clears throat> and uh, that night, <clears throat> we uh, were driving around, you know, St. Charles Rock Road in the Overland area. I went to Rittner High School, and we... Basically, we're at the high school hangout on Taco Bell at Taco Bell. And my buddy was in his car and we, you know, seeing some of the other uh, people driving around. And so he, he, we were a little paranoid, I guess. And he thought that his girlfriend was trying to cheat on him. And that wasn't the case. So we pulled into Taco Bell. He was arguing with her and some of her friends went into the Taco Bell. This I knew later. I didn't know at the time. I was talking with friends still inside the car out in the parking lot. But, you know, as the story goes, some of the girls went inside and said that Mark was, you know, they were afraid that he was going to beat up Amy and they were arguing real bad. And so this guy won't mention his name, obviously don't want to do that, but he uh, come out and he headed towards Mark. Well, Mark had his back towards towards uh, the Taco Bell. And um, so I, you know, instinctively say, hey, what's this guy doing? 
And so he, the guy turned to me and, hey, you want some? So me being who I was at the time, you know, was welcoming of a fist fight. Got out of the car and I was going to hit him with the, I dropped out of school that day. So I had my combination lock in my pocket. And so my instinct was I was going to put it, you know, on my knuckles and fight him with that. And so he kind of caught wind of that when I put my hand in my pocket and said, well, you're going to hit me with something. So I took off my coat. So I ain't got nothing now. And we went to scrapping and I uh, put him into the pavement and repeatedly beat his head on the pavement. And the next thing I knew, you know, people were pulling me off and we got in the car and took off. And later on that evening was arrested, you know, for at the time, the St. St. Anne police department, or they were arresting me. They said for a first degree manslaughter. And so I was kind of freaked out. Needless to say, it wasn't manslaughter. It was first degree assault B felony because of the extent of the injuries. Um, People say he was in a coma, but everything that I've read <clears throat> and all the information that I, that I gathered through the case, uh, he was not in a coma, but the, the extent of his injuries were pretty severe. All his teeth were knocked out and reconstructive surgery on his eye and nose and cheek. <clears throat> and uh, so, you know, that in turn, you know, had me on a hundred thousand dollar bond back in 1988, which was kind of extreme. But at the same token, looking back now <clears throat> with who I am now was probably a little light, you know, I, uh, I did the crime. And so I did the time I was sentenced to eight years on a plea bargain I pled out to eight years. They were trying to give me 15. <clears throat> so which my attorney, who was my uncle at the time, got me the plea bargain of eight years with a couple other things running concurrent weapons and different things that I had on me when I was arrested. So I ended up doing five and a half on the eight. The first three and a half years were at Boonville Correctional Center, the affectionately known as Thunderdome. Thunderdome. Yeah. Back, back then before. <laughs> kind of a youthful offender camp. I mean, it's 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 kind of, a, if I can be sarcastic for a second, it's kind of a, a great concept. You take all first-time felons under the age of 25, class A and B felonies, and put them all in the same camp. Yeah, great idea. So what was that like? I, I think it's a really interesting contrast. You had to go to the Thunderdome. I would imagine at this point you don't want to fight because you realize – the harm that can come from that, but you're in an environment where you almost have to, and you got to prove yourself. You knew you'd never been there. How did that work out? Well, that's, that's, that's exactly where I was leading into is, you know, here you are on assault case. So you don't want to get in any more trouble by fighting, but you're around everyone that's in, in the same institution that you are is there for violent acts and, and, or assault or, you know, even worse. <clears throat> and they're all, we're all young. We're under the age of 25, you know? And so, yeah, you go in and it's kind of like a boot camp when they, back then they, they put you in what's called 10 house. 
and that was the orientation house. And all these houses on the Boonville camp at that time were, you know, these old brick and mortar type units, uh, a bay environment. It wasn't cell environment. It was all bay environment, which is an open area where you have bunks lined. You know, the bay that, that I was in in Six House had <clears throat> 70 bunks in the bay. So it's an open area bay with 70 bunks. And that's split up in a house. And then you have your showers and everything on the lower level. That sounds extremely miserable. I always had my own cell. What was that? What was the open bay like? It's it's extremely miserable, horrible, uh, insightful, if if that's a term I can use. Because I think that, you know, it's it's almost like they, they wanted to litmus test us to see, hey, let's just throw them all together and see how they respond, you know. And of course, I mean, every every 15 minutes you were here in 1049, which obviously you guys know, but most people don't know. But 1049 is a call from the CO to the other COs on their walkie talkies to say that there's a violent act going on or a fight or something of that nature to where they, you know, they need backup or they need response to it. And everyone can hear those walkie talkies, especially in the Bay environment, because, you know, guards are just walking around and they're in that Bay environment as well. So they're not protected by any bars or, or, or doors or, or rotundas or any of that's or any of that stuff, you know? So, um, yeah, that's, it was, it was pretty extreme on that level. And so you, you, you get into Ten house and, you know, they got the open, open Bay showers, open Bay, open Bay, everything. Zero <clears throat> privacy. Zero privacy. And uh, they shave your head, just like your military. You have no choice. You have to do it. And even if you if, if you argue it, you go to the hole. And so that was the big thing with Boonville. If, you know, you go against what they say, you go to the hole, which is, you know, that's segre- segregated uh, environment with cells. One thing about Boonville, the camp you're talking about, is before it was a prison, it was actually a juvenile detention center. So the culture there was like a juvenile detention center. You know, so when they changed it to a prison, they kept a lot of youthful offenders and just kind of kept it in that youthful way to clean it up years later. Like, I don't know, 10, maybe 15 years later, they started just transferring all old guys in there. They started transferring a bunch of you know, to try and change the culture and environment to a calmer one, which to some extent it worked because once you bring in some old heads and stuff, it's going to change, you know? Well, it was about the, the, it was about mid, mid 93 to late, no late 93 is when they started changing things. Cause it was right after the riots in with the Rodney King incident went down. Well, that's a long time ago. Yeah. And in 93, I forget what month it was, but, the you know we all sat there on our TVs in an open bay environment watching OJ drive down the highway in his white Bronco, right? We watched the cases at lunchtime. We watched you know after our job details. Those every, were some big TVs back we then. Do we were glued in? Oh yeah, the big bubbles. <laughs> but uh, we were glued in. You know, I mean that was exciting for everybody. But whenever that verdict came out and they started rioting in in South Central Los Angeles, well, guess what? We heard 1049 two house, 1049 six house. 1040. Oh, wow. I mean, it, it just, it went, you know, the kind of situation where you got to back up to your locker and just defend yourself. 
So did you experience like did did ten forty nine that happen where you were and in, in oh your absolutely tank yeah absolutely it was in every housing unit they didn't have enough people to stop it you basically had to you know either either click up or you know just do your own thing now by this time I was pretty established so it wasn't I it wasn't real racial for me you know I because most of my I got along with everybody I was I helped tutor I helped guys get their GEDs. You know, black, white, Hispanic. But anyway, to make a long story short, yeah, it went down pretty hard. You know, I mean, locks and socks, soap and socks. You basically had to just cover up under your bunk because everybody. It was a free for all, and it was mostly just trying to get tobacco. You know, so yeah. So people were just trying to steal. Yeah, it was, just, and but you know, and the, you know, it was just black on white fights, and it was just it was an excuse to just be wild, really. You know, it comes from, that from mob my mentality. Eyes. Yeah, it was a mob mentality. Just, a, but you know, being there, and you know, not being affiliated with a gang or anything, you know, I was I was scared more than anything. But you know, I knew how to defend myself, and so, and fortunately, I didn't have any you know real, real beef with anybody. I never really got into gambling. You know, I play spades for a box every now and again. You know, but. Other than that, I just I never really got anything you know into things like that. I was more into the books and <clears throat> trying to teach people. I can remember experiencing something similar back in the nineties. Uh, Missouri was over flooded, overcrowded. The prisons were all overcrowded, so they started sending guys down to Texas. Well, videos got out that the staff down there was abusing the Missouri inmates and sicking the dogs on them, and it became a big news. Thing. So they had to bring all those guys back from Texas. Well, when they did, they reflooded the prison. Well, when they brought them back to Algoa, where I was at at the time, they shut the gym down and put them all in the gym on bunks. Well, that made everyone upset because now you have no gym, you have no recreation. Right. And within weeks, the riot kicked off. And it it, it was it, it was horrifying really yeah. i mean all you know you never know i mean everyone going at where staff is running away you know it, it's you know it's chaos I mean, so you saw people get hurt and you saw things get destroyed what was the what was the scariest thing you saw in that well i, mean, I saw guys getting beaten almost to death with a cue ball because there we had a pool room they had a pool table some i did all that my stuff. second bit yeah and my guy was just getting pummeled with a pool ball and just I thought he was going to die. I honestly don't think he did, but I know he got severely injured. And and just seeing guys stabbing people on the coming out the door and trying to find a place to be, I ended up in the library and went in the library with a few other people. And the guard there was like, "Shut that door." <laughs> <laughs> He's like, "Yeah, we don't want any more people in here. Right. I can't stop nothing." Right. I uh, in when I was in Boonville, there was a there was a time where. <clears throat> This guy got labeled as a snitch, whether he was or not, I don't know. But in the housing unit out of then, it was two. It was two floors. It was it was like looking at an old brick Victorian house, basically. And so you had a front entryway, then you had stairs that that went up to the bays. There are two separate bays, like I said, that would that that were separated by a stair by a normal stairway, and about seventy bunks per bay. Well, this then down on the bottom level. To the left was the caseworker's office and the CO's office and their lounge. And then to the right was a day room 
And then in the back of that was the showers, the shitters. Oh, can I, can I cuss on here? <laughs> cuss all you want. It's all good. <laughs> the shitters, the showers, you know, all that stuff. And then, and then in between that was the phone booths. <laughs> that was that was a trip in yeah, itself. Long ago. Yeah, long ago. Right? Booths. So he gets labeled a snitch. Whether he did it or not, I can't say. But uh, I was in the I was just getting out of the shower and I heard I heard him going, right? And so I come come out. Well, there's no way for me to get out of this out of the, the room because they're they're right there at, at a utility closet. And he he goes. I'm I'm watching, you know, and I've got my back. I got all my shower stuff. I've got my towel around. I'm just backed up on the wall because I know, you know, COs are coming any minute. And uh, I see this this guy grab a mop ringer, one of them old school yellow metal mop ringers, and they split him from the top of his head here, all the way down his face to to his chin, and just him laying there crying for mom. You know, he was just crying for his mother. And they just kept hitting him until the COs got there. That was that that one was pretty hard to to look at, you know. I don't think anyone could be prepared for something like that to see, you know. I mean, the kids got these video games now where you hit people with bats and blood squirts, but when you see it live like that, and it's you know, it's a whole different ball. A, a person is basically defenseless and still getting beat. It's it's really hard to stomach, you know, and or just to you know witness you know so what a level of cruelty sometimes in these environments is is but i mean it take it, it, takes, it takes you back you, yeah it you know just it, I mean? it shows you what kind of um what kind of environment you're in for one savage thing. you know yeah. I mean, animalistic instinct i guess is what what it boils down to you know like yeah. ted nugent says you know a stick a sharp stick and a hunk of meat you know is is sometimes all you need to survive and so it's just, I don't know, just no good when you're the hunk of meat. No, it's not <laughs> good when you're the hunk of meat. But it's, um, yeah, so that was one of the, one of the worst things I've seen. The other, the other, I think probably the worst that I saw was um, there was a homosexual and a new guy, you know, he fresh on the camp come in and thought he was going to, you know, basically, Take take control of this homosexual. The homosexual was already established. Had you know had his had his he was you know who he was, and he was he wasn't he wasn't really no punk. You know, even right. though he was a homosexual, right. he wasn't no punk. Sexual orientation doesn't necessarily right. <laughs> uh, doesn't constitute designate toughness, right? Yeah. And so so you know, like I said, you're in an open bay environment. You can hear everything, you know, and you you're laying there in your bunk, and you hear you know him, you know, stop. I told you, you know, and he keeps going, keeps going, keeps going. And so they get after it. Finally, the, the COs come and break them up. They come out of the hole about seven days later. And, and you guys know what a tumbler is. It's, it's, you know, it's a, a coffee. It's a coffee. It's a cup. With a lid. No, no it doesn't no, have the lid. The, just a tum- the, the regular white cups. Oh yeah. yeah the yeah, big, yeah. the bigger ones. Yeah. I, I don't like a Casey's how- kind of cup. So yeah. Like kind of like a, well, how do you? How would we describe our tumblers? I mean, it's not, it's not a coffee cup, but it's a regular cup, the plastic cup. But kind anyway, like a pretty handle. large stuff. And you put your stinger in it. You boil your water. You know, make some soups or whatever. Well, this guy, this homosexual, put a 
baby oil in there and oh, heated it up. Oh, no, I've heard about yeah, that. Yeah, buddy. And, uh, Can't buy baby oil anymore he, in Missouri. He caught him. He caught him at the corrections. He caught him at the chow hall in front of everybody. Oh. And uh, it was it was it was horrific. He hit him in the it's face like with the, He hit him in the face with the boiling baby oil, and he just started peeling his own Ooh. skin off oh. and just screaming and turning in circles. And the alarm goes off when something like that happens. And I mean, everybody has to stand up with their backs on the wall. So we had no choice but to listen to this guy yell and scream and peel his face off. And the oh. smell was horrendous. Just that burning flesh. It was it was awful. But it was and, and and you know he was standing over. I told you leave me alone, but I think he was wanting to roll out anyway. He rolled out, yeah, because he had another case sure. pending and he wasn't going to beat it. And so he was just trying to you know get somewhere else to get established. And that's got to change you a little bit. Seeing something. oh man, I, I can't imagine that. Well, you it's another like- case of prison, like and what I've always seen in prison when I was lucky enough to know and live by is it's no fun when the rabbit's got the gun. Right. And that means all predators can eventually become prey. And you live by the sword, you die by the sword in there and out here. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, you want to run around acting like you're the toughest guy in town and you're going to you're going to find out. different. Also, you got to remember now they have cameras back then. They didn't have cameras anywhere. Right. You know, there was, I mean, they had a few closed captions on the yard. Yeah, but, but like everybody today. knew the blind spots, you know, yeah, which was almost everywhere. now cameras are you, there's hardly a blind spot anywhere. No. And so they can walk. They can go back on video now and just watch who you talk to on the exactly. way to doing something bad. And you get locked up and all as of as of like, I think that that happened in 91, if, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Right. in somewhere in 91. And uh there, there was no cameras anywhere, you know. But during all this chaos, you still were able to garner some sort of education when your first five years, right? Yeah, I mean, I got my good enough degree, that GED. Well, you did, didn't you do some computer stuff too? Yeah, I, I, what's that? You did some computer stuff. Yeah, too, I, I got a, I got a, I made straight A's actually at a community college in Boonville, Northwest Missouri Community College, and that afforded me enough credit hours. Not all of them transferred, but when I got out, I was able to go to um, Merrimack and finish up some of those hours to get to get accepted into SLU, which I didn't pursue my associates like I should have because I started, I got a job immediately doing computers. And so uh, be, me being a knucklehead that I am thinks, okay, I'm making 60 grand a year now. It's 1996. I'm doing great. I don't need no damn school no more. I got this licked. But, you know, truth be told, I should have stayed in school and got my bachelor's and continued in education. And the, the opportunity was provided there from from prison, I have to admit. It's good that they had that. They don't really do that as much anymore. Really? Well, now they thought, well, they've, gone, they've gone back to it where they offer now, at least in Missouri, some college classes that you can good. take. Yeah, you, this was an actual a- college setting. I mean, they, they had a professor come in. And we would go and they had, you know, terminals set up for everybody. And we, we was in a college, it was, it was a classroom setting to where, you know, the, uh, the instructor was affiliated with the school, not the prison. Right. And, uh, but you did have to earn that right to do that. You had to be right up free for six months. So Ryan, you were saying you had uh, some good education and you, you had developed your mind, you got out of prison, uh, but you ended up. Going back at some point, what Correct. what happened uh, to lead you back to prison? Well, um, it's real simple, actually. It's I 
got a girl pregnant. And the way I was raised, you know, hey, this is my baby. This is my family now. So I made a place for us. We uh, we had the baby real fresh because obviously it wasn't a planned pregnancy. Right. And so we got to, I got an apartment. We did did the pregnancy. Everything was, was groovy. Um, as soon as we got the baby home, uh, the – my my daughter's mother started using pills again, and so it led into a downward spiral. So for three and a half years, I tried to keep the family together, and it just uh, her and I were like oil and water. We just did not mix. And so my daughter was three and a half. I did not want to leave her. I was basically basically raising another son in this relationship while she was always gone. Which I was cool with, actually. I'm like, hey, stay out. as soon as I get home, you can leave. I don't care. Because <laughs> I'm trying, you know, I was just trying to raise them kids the best I knew how. Absolutely. And so um, I had a good job. We had brand, we had two real nice brand new cars. Things were well, so I thought, until, you know, the money started missing. The money started coming up missing. The money started, there wasn't money for bills. You know, where's my money at? Why'd you take my wallet? The, you know, I mean, everybody. We, I, I don't want to point fingers or anything like that, but things just got real toxic to where it was, I had to leave, you know, she was calling the cops on me. I wasn't on parole at this time. I, I was off parole. Actually, I'd walked my parole down. And so this was in 2005. And so the final episode was we had, you know, we'd been in domestic, we'd been, She'd called the cops many times. So St. Peter's police department basically knew us, you know, and where we lived and another one. Right. Well, at this particular one, I left, I just grabbed all my stuff and I I was, that that was it for me. I was gone. I was going to my brother's house. I'm like, I'm done. I'll figure it out later with Emily and that's it. I'm gone. And so she, she knew that that was it for me too. She could tell. And so as I was driving away, she called the cops and then, Cops pull me over down the street, quick trip. And they're like, um, come back to the house. We'll figure it out. You know, she, she called us again. I'm like, okay. And so she was writing a statement said I punched her in the face and she had hit herself over repeatedly to, to show Mark. And so I'm like, I haven't touched her. You know, I said, ask the kids. I didn't put a finger on her. I left. She was scratching me and I had scratch marks all on my neck. Her trying to stop me from going out the door. And, uh, so anyway, with the record I had, the uh, St. Saint, Saint Charles prosecuting attorney. prosecuting attorney and what they call the um, crime victims, or hold on, what is that? They had an, a, like a task force for um, domestic, violence. domestic violence task force. Right. Okay. And so, and Gwendolyn Gecki was, she was, she was the uh, prosecuting attorney on the case. And, uh, they set my bond at almost, I think it was $75,000 Damn, for a bond for a second degree domestic because of my record, right? Being an assault first and already hadn't done prison time. And so I'm like, well, this is ridiculous. You know, what are you talking about? And so I'm, so I'm, I'm in county jail and I have no contact with, with my, my daughter's mother. And we're in my bond reduction hearing and my mother had gotten my daughter's mother to show up to court to tell the truth that I didn't touch her. And so she stood up in court and told the, and so the prosecuting attorney interrupted her and said, 
to the uh, Judge Cundiff, Terry Cundiff, that she would like a another charge, a class B felony charge of tampering with a witness that I had gotten to her somehow to make her come up there and say that. And so now I'm looking at 14 years and I'm like, hold on. And I've got this public pretender next to me. He, I, I said, what are you doing? So I stood up and I said, Mr. Cundiff, your honor, can I please have a time to get a paid attorney? This is getting out of hand, you know? And so he granted me that time in which I got a paid attorney and this evidently they were just, they weren't budging. They they would not come down. So I pled out thinking at the time, forget I didn't know about the 40% remand law. I just knew that, man, this is a class C felony. I'll I'll swap I'll I'll plead I'll plead out to this case. I'll do 18 months. I'll be out. I'll be away from her. Things will be groovy. <laughs> so I basically took the time to get away from my ex, but didn't didn't equate in the or didn't put into the equation. <laughs> that there was a 40% remand law in the state of Missouri. So obviously I take the time, I get there, talk to the caseworker. They're like, oh, you're not, you got a 40% remand. I'm like, what? So what percent <laughs> so would you have had to do if it weren't for the 40% remand? It's Damn. like, it's like, uh, like 20% on, on a, on a class C. Right. It's at their discretion at that. Yeah. Point. It's at their discretion. I, oh. I was looking, I thought it was going to be about 18 months, you know, but it's not a minimum, minimum mandatory. No, it wasn't a minimum mandatory. Like the, but, but because I was it's a pro stipulated guideline that they stick to because I was already incarcerated prior to, there is a 40% remand. Uh, what do they call it? Remand. Right. Remand law. I, I think that stands for two words, though, but I don't know what it means. Yeah, I do too. I don't know what it means. It's I always got mandatory. Resid- residual <laughs> mandatory. That's what it is. Residual mandatory. Yeah, yeah. Something like that. But anyway, so I ended up doing um, three and a half, actually, on that seven. I remember the I got a letter time. from you. I went yeah. down in 2005. Yeah, I sent you one C. And I got a letter from you sometime around 06. I was reaching 07. out. I reached out to a lot of people. But, um, yeah, and so now and the other thing later, about – we talked again. The other strange thing about my <laughs> prison my prison sentences, the first time I was down, I I got to go to a funeral. My dad died. And so I was able to go, to attend his well, funeral and handcuffs and shackles. Ago. That was in 93. Yeah, they don't do that, that no more, do they? No, because – and I know that for a fact now because the second time I went to prison, my mother passed away with cancer, and I wasn't able to attend hers. Yeah, I wasn't able Sorry to attend to my dad's And so both my parents, while I'm gone on these two separate journeys, you know, 15 years apart, not that not that I'm saying that to gain sympathy. It's just it's it's right. it's the irony of it that you know both times I'm in the penitentiary, I'm not a, you know a, I'm basically not able to be there for my parents when they're you know dying. So and it, it that 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 weighs on me a lot. That's what makes it so difficult sometimes, to even in your own mind, like my mind, of being locked up one time, seeing all that, going through all that loss of loved ones, can't be there coming out and ending up back again. And you people say, what are you crazy? And the only thing you can think to say is yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. I don't know, you know, right. but it's getting back in this, the same patterns of unhealthy relationships, getting right. back into drinking and drugging, getting back into, you know, just, right. so I guess what they call self will run riot, you know, where it just snowballs on you. Sometimes it's the smallest mistakes. Like, one of the best, biggest mistakes I think some people make is who you're with when you come home. Right. You know, getting with someone 
who is toxic to you or you all, I mean, there's just a lot of things. And like you, you got with someone that was toxic with you and stayed with it, knowing it was toxic, hoping that the worst didn't happen. And then it did. It did, yeah. And then the person that you were with now, I know she, she's passed away now right. from her addiction. And yeah. And that's the thing is, is if, if I could, I, I wish I could take Gwendolyn Gecky to that family saying, you know, Hey, they watched her die of drugs. You, you could have stopped it. Maybe, you know, in some weird way, if you would have just looked at the case a little bit stronger instead of looking at this guy's past on his paperwork and right. saying, oh, he's a piece of shit. Right. And, past and, always takes precedence in this, in this legal system, right? And, and you oh, look wow. so much worse on paper than you do if they would just, you know, catch take a, case take a week to investigate you. Yeah, to 100%. catch a case with a record, they, they don't have to investigate you, but they know right. they can convict you on the record. Right. Because if I were to get in trouble today for stealing – you know, if me and Ryan, who's been exonerated, so he has no record now. If we went to the store. And- By the way, all Ryans are pretty damn hot. You know what I mean? <laughs> Absolutely. You know what? Every morning I look in the mirror, and that's what I tell myself. I'm, I'm just well, saying, here's the thing. <laughs> if Ryan and I were to go up to Walmart and both of us steal a candy bar and coming out, we got caught. Now Ryan would get a ticket, and he'd have to pay the ticket, and he wouldn't be allowed in Walmart anymore. And I'm going to prison. Right. They're going to take it up to a misdemeanor, to a felony, because they're going to enhance it. They enhance charges once you have a record, at least right. in this state. They, they do. In Missouri. They it's do. absolutely true. You and know? I'm, and I'm, I'm not saying they're wrong for doing that. I just don't understand how that works. I mean, I like if it's worth five years, the next time it's worth 10 for you, but five for him or, you know, but it does. The class, if you get charged with a class C felony, they'll enhance it on your record to a class B. Yeah. You know, if you get caught stealing and it's a class D, you're getting enhanced by your record up to a C, which means you get more time. Right. Well, to win elections, you got to be tough on crime and you got to figure out some way to make it tougher. And Absolutely. Uh, right. it's usually so not in a way that's going to help anybody become a better human being or citizen or, or person in society. It just doesn't. So, Ryan, when you went back on those three years, was that a worse feeling than going down initially? Because you knew like, man, I've been here. I got to do this again. Like, No, actually, like I was saying earlier, and I'm glad you asked that because I, uh, I, I wanted to go down. I, I, like I said, I thought it was going to be like, I'm going to do 18 months. I know how to do time. I'll get in there. I'll get, get my TV. I'll get in shape. You know, I'm thinking, yeah. this is going to be great. Almost like an escape from It's It problems. was an escape from my problems. I really did look at it like that. I know people will laugh at me and say that's bullshit or whatever, but that's the God's honest truth. That's what I was thinking. That was my – now, when I discovered I had the, the remand law, that's when it got, oh, fuck. You it got know? real, real? Yeah, I'm like, shit, man. That's that's a lot. 40%. Real, real. That's a lot of time. You so know? those times where you're That's three years, I'm thinking. You're not you know? quite like, as smart man. as you might have thought you were. Exactly. <laughs> and so now i got to manipulate the system. You could have just called now, me. I could have told now you. I gotta, now i got to really try to get somewhere to where I can make my bones so I can get to a work release camp so I can do the, You know, that then that becomes my hustle, Right. Keep your nose clean so you can get to a work release camp. Cause that's, you know, that's where I had my best time was when I got to the work release camp the first time in 94 and ended up in Ozark Correctional Center. Oh, yeah. Why was that your best time? Well, you're out of the camp all day. You're working. I was building condominiums behind uh, Silver Dollar City and Table Rock. Yeah. When I was Lake. at OCC, we were working and, at the Turkey Factory and I was making $11 Ooh. an hour and 
1997. Yeah, and I walked out of there with some good chunk of change. Now, granted, I didn't realize that work release had changed since then. So so now I'm down at the – I finally – I get to Tipton. I started in Algoa. I get to Tipton, work release camp, and the highest pay now is $7.25 a day opposed to $7.50 an hour or $11 an hour. Um, and that's to work with MoDOT down at the Lake of the Ozarks cutting weeds, you know. And so it changed a lot. And so I wasn't ready for that either. But I did end up on work release, did that, and then ended up transferring to Farmington when my mom got sick, kind of leveled up actually with through my caseworker because I was at the one camp in Tipton, but it was too far. My mom got cancer. It was too far for her to travel. So I talked to my caseworker. I said, listen, I, I got to get closer to home. Pacific, wherever, you know, I don't care if I get, you know, I'm going to level up regardless of what you do so I can get closer to my mom. And so, uh, the days of having a good time in prison are far behind us. <laughs> Why would they I take had, that? You know, I, I, you can't say that. I had a lot of good times in there. You make, you, you meet, you meet like minded people. No, no, I'm, I don't know. mean that there aren't any enjoyable times. We do make up. Shit, when I won that dodgeball tournament, bro, I was, that was my Rudy moment. Who could not hit you with a ball? Five feet I wide. caught everything, though, dude. Uh, we'll go out I back caught after everything. We're done here. We'll have our own match. I got the plaque to prove it. it. I got the plaque to prove it. I don't know. Were anyway. You, you Our kickball uh, tournaments would get pretty contentious dude, in there. I don't you know, that's <laughs> right. Were you Kick playing ball, with the guys, softball. the Thorazine guys? Zombie <laughs> <laughs> land. The Hound Dolls. <laughs> so Come on, Ryan, guys. So, Ryan, after the nine years, nine plus years that you, you spent incarcerated and that whole journey through the system, do you feel like you learned anything through that process? Do you feel like, I mean, how, how did that impact your life and where are you at now? Okay. Um, yeah, through the process, I hated, it. I'm thinking, man, this is a waste of my life. This is, you know, I'm not really learning anything, but through, you know, some of the different looking back now, Yes, I wouldn't change a thing. I would change some of the hurt I might have caused the family of the the guy I beat up at Taco Bell. For sure, I don't want nobody to feel that. You know, that's nobody does. At least no. in in my in my way in my world, nobody should want to feel that. You know, that 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 sense of oh my gosh, my kid's gonna die, or you know, look at this person just beat my son up. You know, I mean, that's of course I would change that. I would change that hurt, but I wouldn't change the path that of prison for me because now I th- I feel that I'm, I definitely can read people, you know, because you develop a sense of, of reading, especially males on mail. I can see somebody down the street and know what they're up to, you know, just by their mannerism, just by, just by, you know, the way they hold their self. Um, I can, uh, I can, I can say that, you know, I've learned who I am. And so, yeah, and that's my phone guys. Sorry. You can edit that out. Uh, I would only be upset if it was Dave's phone. <laughs> that's <way>. my phone. <laughs> but you said you learned, you learned who you are, though? I mean, that, that, yeah, I, that, I learned I who like I, I am, you know? And I mean, because deep down, I am a good, I've always been a good-hearted person, very generous, very kind. I've, I've never set out to get in a fight. Um, matter of fact, I can say this truthfully and with, with, with humbleness that most of my friends got me into fights because I could fight, you know? But that is very true. And, and, and I would try to avoid them at any cost, to be honest, because I knew, you know, that I was capable of that switch flipping and being, you know, 
that that moment to where I, I lose control. Going too far, um, yeah. Right. And you know, but yeah, now I've I've been with this uh my lovely girlfriend for ten years and we have six kids together and three grandkids and we travel and we you know I, I I work hard. I make decent money. She works hard and make decent money. We keep everybody together. We've had a lot of tragedy in, in the, in, in the 10 years and we're all able to fall on each other. My stepkids call me dad. Um, it's, you got a pool. I do. I built my own pool in my backyard nice. with a deck. And I mean, I'm, life is really great. You know, I mean, it's, uh, and it was because I'm, I have to say I made a decision to just, live for live for others instead of myself and try to serve more instead of want more if that makes sense you know it's, it's it when i first came home myself i was uh little uh and i didn't really want to go around a lot of old neighborhood guys because one of them you know was on parole and all that stuff and i just didn't want to i had some anim, you know some resentments against some and you know, I'm sure some might have had some resentments against me, so I couldn't really afford any type of blow ups or and I really just didn't want to even relive that part of my life until you called, you know, and then I went over and that kind of got me back to the reality of, well, we're not 25 anymore, we're, you know, older than 25. Right. You know, right? <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's just kind of reintegrated me, you know, so much having you back in my life, man, is a very big deal for me, you know, because I love and respect you. Absolutely. And it is Likewise. true, you know, in a tough neighborhood, he was one of the toughest guys in a tough neighborhood. That's a fact. Yeah, and I, yeah. that's the thing I've always seen tougher. So, right. <laughs> I, but, yeah. But, yeah, well, I'm so glad you came to be here on the show with us. Oh, absolutely. I'm, fun, I man. like you guys. I'm, I'm thankful you guys are doing something like this because I think that, these the TV shows that are out there now, jail and all these stupid ass shows, in. man. Yeah, you get these, like you called it, the zombies. That they're the Thorazine guys that are in the windows looking at the camera. Right. It doesn't depict what's really going on in the right. penitentiary. Right. Everyone's not a bloodthirsty murderer. Everyone's not a psychopathic right. maniac. Everyone's not trying to fight because they're, you know, everyone's not trying to fight or fuck. You know. You know? <laughs> Does that stuff happen? Absolutely. But there's such more at a deeper level that I think the public probably should be protected from. But if our politicians and the people that, you know, make these law law decisions would kind of see what that is, I think maybe they would steer things or gear things or change the system in a way that might be beneficial for some of these guys that, that really could have a chance. Well, just like in prison out here, the biggest uh, manipulator is fear. Right. They try to manipulate you in prison with fear. Politicians out here try to manipulate you with fear. Right. right? Manipulate you for votes in there and they try to manipulate you for stuff. You know, right. that's yeah. Fear works. You know, True. That's what happens. It does. And it, and it <laughs> oftentimes doesn't benefit anyone, uh, unfortunately, right, but the person who's who's inducing the fear. So right. hopefully we can get some uh, more more policies in place to help people rehabilitate people, provide them opportunities to come out into society and be productive and and be as successful as you've been ryan and uh and build a good life for themselves and eventually you know enjoy life and be a, a positive member of society and even have their own damn pool <laughs> i'm working on it hey man hey it meant a lot to have you here thank you so much i appreciate you guys man thank you so much it was it was a pleasure all right take care man all right peace damn that was an intense 
episode, man. Ryan has has experienced more than I than I even imagined. Uh, I mean, you too, Dave. What well, these experiences are incredible. Well, you know, a lot of them happen in the. Which is funny. You would think like the maximum security would be more. I don't know, lively and colorful, but in my experience, it was these medium security ones that just were kind of off the chain things. And Ryan spent most of his time in the medium and lower security ones, which means a lot of younger people and a lot of, you know, wild stuff going on, you know, like constant action, I guess you say. At the same time, you know, he was able to get some education and get some program stuff in. So there's like two different things going on. You got this chaotic situation going on and you also got like an educational and reflective time going on. So I think Ryan, like myself and you, I'm sure got a lot of both, you know, got there's, it's a contrast. Yeah, it really, really is. And that's, what's, it's so strange for me to hear, you know, cause I have my experience and you had your experience and in the same prison, we had different experiences and he was in a different prison. And then there's other States with all these other different prisons. And like, that's why this show to me is important because everybody's experience is different and all the prisons are different and all the jails are different and the way you're treated and the legal system in those different places are going to change how and affect how you operate and how you come out of that system. And being in a lower level camp, you would think wouldn't be as bad. But it's the opposite in many instances. It's actually more rambunctious and more crazy than the maximum securities. And and that to me is like, I mean, I did time in prison and I wouldn't even have thought that. Right. And, you know, it's amazing how different everybody's experiences are and how different things are state to state. But then it's also interesting how exactly the same they all are. You know, <laughs> true, true, true. You know how the lingo and really... A lot of it's just, you know, it's both different and the same. It's definitely to me. Um, yeah, I think there's a, there's probably a lot more similar. <laughs> right. Uh, you're sitting on your hands doing nothing for years. Sure. Because, you know, I know guys who have come out and become professional convicts or just convicts of their life. They don't want to, you know, they almost gravitate towards the prison life. They they like it and enjoy it more. And they carry that prison thing with them so that you you know it's like their badge of honor and then there are those of us who honestly wouldn't want anybody to be able to just look at us or hear us talk and know that we've been in prison for numerous years and, and that you know right right and closing thoughts it's interesting to me because i had a celly once and he had done time in the lower level camps did two years three years he would go in he would sober up he would work out, he would eat well, whatever, hang out with his buddies because, you know, he knew a bunch of people in there. And then he would get it back out and do the same thing all over again. When I met him, we were in maximum security and he had a bunch of time and he was getting out before me. And he's like, man, I am never doing anything again. Maximum security really, man, is a place I don't ever want to be again. So right. do you think that being in that lower level environment doesn't really, I don't know, like, force people to look at themselves. Cause as you were saying, like repeat offenders or career offenders, the lower level, it just seems kind of like a break of life. Right. When you're in a lower level, for one thing, you know, you're not going to be there a really long time. Uh, there's a lot of times open bays and, you know, eight, 10, 12, 40 guys in a sleeping area. 
So the the camp really can't be locked down. Now they could stop activities, but you're still able to move around in the wing and all that stuff. When you get to the maximum security, they could shut those cell doors and not open them for a year. I mean, you can be locked you down, down big time. Right. right. You 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 feel the total control of authority Oof. of the state you're in when they lock them doors and it's done. You know, Man. and uh, it's a whole different experience for these youngsters and people that uh, haven't had that feeling of absolute control over you. Yeah, it's wild. Wild. All right. Well, I'm I'm just so glad that we had to got to have him on. And uh, I think I I mean, man, kind of blew my mind. I'm still processing it all. So thanks yeah. for finding Ryan and having him on. Um, if you want to join us for more episodes, which I'm sure you do. Then every Sunday afternoon at 12 o'clock Eastern time, we're going to be dropping a new episode. And, uh, and we look forward to hearing your thoughts, feelings, questions, concerns, what you want to hear more of, less of, everything. So come on to our uh, page. You can find me, Ryan Ferguson, at Instagram or Twitter. Happy to hear you anyway. Dave, you have any counts? See you count time every Sunday. <laughs> God bless. Perfect. Thanks again for joining us. We appreciate you. Take care and uh, and we'll see you next week. See you.